This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. You guys, how important is sleep temperature? It's everything to me. And this is where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool, relief, and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me slash FTL to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offer is exclusively available for the love listeners, only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleep, that's S-L-E-E-P, dot M-E slash F-T-L, because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead. Hi, everybody. Jen Hatmaker here. Your happy host of the For the Love podcast. You guys, welcome so much to the show. This is a good one. I'm so happy for all of you listening (laughs) to this incredible bonus episode with just truly a stellar human person. We know her. We love her. We basically have breakfast with her every weekday. This has been someone who has brought us the hardest things and the best things happening out in the world. She's been an integral part of my mornings for over a decade. And then I got lucky enough to actually meet her and know her. And she's just even better, like in person, than what you could ever hope. So I'm thrilled today to have on the Today Show's beloved Savannah Guthrie. I don't just respect her, I like her. We have this great conversation today. We talk about the tapestry of her career, which is pretty rich. And I love the arc of her story because it just started 
humble and sort of unlikely. She didn't get plugged into this pedigreed path where your end game is virtually guaranteed and you're scaffolded by who you know and what you have. Like hers wasn't like that. It was way grittier than that. And so we talk about her path to being a host on one of America's most cherished shows. I mean, truly an institution. We talk about her zig over to law and court TV. Savannah was a correspondent on court TV as a legal analyst, really, during like Samuel Alito's nomination, Martha Stewart case, Michael Jackson trial. Like it was when court TV was probably at its heyday. And so we're gonna talk about that a little bit. And then she got out of that sort of noticed by NBC again, and then started this journey all the way really to the top of the pile. And so Savannah has written a book. And as you can well imagine, with somebody who is a journalist, she is an incredible writer. She's a communicator for a living. It's not just beautifully written, which it is, but it is full of substance and depth. And her book is called Mostly What God Does. That is from a Eugene Peterson translation that he has in the message, which it finishes out, Mostly What God Does is Love You. We're going to talk all about it. I'm going to say less about that because I loved hearing Savannah talk about what faith has meant to her, what this book has meant to her, and what she hope it means to you as well. This is just a good human. She is telling the truth. She is living out of integrity, which is not to say she doesn't wobble or doubt or have failures. In fact, that is what makes her in alignment. That is what gives her a life of integrity is that she tells the truth about that. And she's just delightful and funny and smart. I did remind her that the first time I was ever on the Today Show, she was interviewing me and that having been a Today Show fan as long as I can remember, I was so overwhelmed, I don't remember it. I literally don't remember anything I said. I can't remember the questions. I had to go back and look at our clip to even know what it even was. What even did I say? What even happened? And so we had a good laugh over that. But she is lovely. Her book is so lovely. And you're going to love this conversation. So welcome to the show, the just absolutely wonderful Savannah Guthrie. Thanks for being on the show. I'm so excited to talk to you for a million reasons. Because when I got your book and I'm reading it, it was so fun and lovely to read about just the little details of your real life. You, like Savannah, because you're always interviewing somebody else. And so I'm like, there's her sister. There's her kids. Like, she's just putting her kids to bed. Like, I know about that. There's her shoplifting career. That's right. That's right. Look, we all have a checkered past, you know? <laughs> like, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But anyway, it's just so lovely. You're such a good writer. I mean, of course, you're a journalist. But turning your writing skills into a different genre like this was profound. I'm like, Savannah needs to write a bunch more books. Oh, no, this is one and done for me, sister. I'm no Jen Hatmaker. Your Instagram posts are like poetry. I'm laughing. I'm crying. I'm a big Jen fan. 
I wrote the book so I could get on this podcast. That's <laughs> the only way. You got to bring Singular something. objective. Yes. 100%. <laughs> okay. Listen, my community all knows you and loves you as much as I do. But just for the four that are listening and going, what's more about this Savannah? I wonder, I'd love to hear you go back just a little bit and walk through for us your... I guess your path into journalism, really, because you are in the rarest era, Pear Sister. I mean, a very select group of people, a part of an institution that is super special. And it's so fascinating, I can imagine, to be a part of a legacy program like you are. And I'd like to hear, if you wouldn't mind, this is how I got there, because you have a lot of skills. You have a lot of tools in your toolkit. And you zigged a little bit and zagged before you got here. Yeah. Yes. Many zigs, zags. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, the Today Show is, as you said, it's an incredible institution. So to be a part of it for even one moment, like I think we all kind of feel like momentary caretakers. Like the place is bigger than any individual. And it's not just the people you see on TV. It's all the people behind the scenes. And if you're going to get up at these ungodly hours, Man, you have to have a mission. And it is the thing of the Today Show is so revered and beloved by the people who work here, from the crew to the producers, to the writers, to the interns, to, of course, all of us that you see. So it's amazing. And to get to host the Today Show, I mean, honestly, it's kind of beyond my wildest dream. Like even when I dreamed my biggest dream, I wouldn't have chosen that because it would have been too big in a way. So pie in the sky. You know? Yeah. It was a girl from Tucson, Arizona with no connections and didn't go to any fancy school. You know, it's like, I, it just, the whole thing is so improbable. But I also was the last person you would think future Today Show anchor when I started out in television news when I was 21 years old. I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, went to college in my hometown. My father died when I was a teenager. I lived at home all through college. And I was kind of just meandering around, unfocused, unmotivated. And my mom finally was like, you need to pick a major. Why don't you try journalism? Because at least you'll have a skill. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) She was like, and I'm not paying for a communications degree. I'm like, okay. (laughs) That's so classic Nancy Guthrie. I love it so much. Stone shade, it comes to creep. Okay. So I took journalism classes and that's what really lit a fire. It changed everything. I love to write. And actually, I dreamed of being a print reporter. I wanted to be a Newsweek reporter. I thought that was my dream. But I had to get a part-time job. Of course, I've had a job since I was 14 years old. So I got a job at the local PBS station, which was on the campus of the University of Arizona. And I was there for three and a half years. And I started, you know, it was on the crew. It was always behind the scenes. But by the end of it, having taken my journalism classes and been around on stories as a crew person, and made friends with all the producers, I talked them into letting me do my first story. Sure. And that's how I got a tape together. And I started sending it out after I graduated, and I ended up getting a job. There's a whole long story. It's actually in the book, hilarious and painful. I got my first job was in Butte, Montana. Station closed 10 days after I got there. Fantastic start. Yes. So nobody was like, future Today Show host right there. Uh, Clearly. (laughs) But anyway, long story short, I came back to my hometown. I ended up getting another job in local news, kind of rose up the ranks, then scrapped it all, went to law school, another long story, and then scrapped that all and came back to journalism. Then I eventually got hired by NBC. I covered the White House in Washington. 
and in 2011 came up to New York to anchor the third hour of the Today Show. And then in 2012, I can't believe this is almost 14 years ago. I still feel like the new girl. I remember all this. Like, I remember it like it was yesterday, and I would not have said it was 12 years ago. I know. It's crazy. I'm so curious, like, just for one little second, what was it that had you go, I want to eject out of this for a minute and go into law? What was drawing you? What was interesting to you? You know what? It was a combination, if I'm being brutally honest, which of course I will be, it was a combination of interest and excitement and insecurity and fear that I wasn't good enough to get the next big job in television. I was in a medium-sized market. I actually was lucky enough to be back in my hometown at a great station. I was the local weekend anchor on the NBC affiliate and reported during the week. And I mean, it was all set up. It was great. I lived in my hometown, had a ton of friends, had a decent apartment, finally making a buck. And I knew that after being there three and a half years or so, it was time to try to, you know, in television news, especially then, it was like, you got to get to the bigger market, the bigger market, and then you hope to get to the networks. Like that was the track. Now there's so many different tracks. You could roll out of college and have a podcast. You could be a digital media, whatever they call it. You know, the, what are those? I have no idea. There's a name for it. We don't know. We're too old for it. We're too old. But back then, there was just a traditional pass. That's what it was. Correct. And it was like, yeah. you sent your literal tapes out and tried to get a job. So I knew in my heart, if this is time for me to go, I should try to go to a bigger market. And that's what I wanted to do because I did have secret big dreams in television news that I did not admit to myself. Yeah. But I was so nervous that I would be rejected. You know, I didn't look right. I wasn't the typical on-air person. You know, I've always kind of sounded like this. And what would you say for people listening? What was the look? What was the sound? What was the prototype that you felt like, I don't fit this? I mean, first of all, the hair, I could never do my hair right. My hair was always a mess. People have been complaining about my hair and continue to actually now. It's curly. You know, it's always wrong. And then I just didn't look like those beautiful, blonde, perfect, statuesque, thin, gorgeous, smart women in red blazers that populated local news. Like I didn't look like them. And I just didn't think I'd get my chance. And I just sort of dreaded it. Yeah. But I had decided not to. What I did was decide to take the LSAT, the law school entrance exam. Yeah. I still had a year left on my contract. So I thought, I'm going to take this law school entrance exam. The scores are good for three years. Maybe I'll try to throw out some tapes and see if I can get to that bigger market. And if it doesn't work out, I've got this in my back pocket. I can apply to law school. TV's over. Go in a new direction. I've covered a bunch of trials. I love the law. I was watching Court TV and the OJ Simpson trial. I was like obsessed. I was that person. You know, wanted to be a TV lawyer. And so I took the LSAT. All, let all the deadlines expire. Didn't apply to law school anywhere. Lo and behold, this is March of 1999. I get a letter in the mail. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Letter in the mail from Georgetown Law. Oh my gosh. Now look, George, I had been an intern on Capitol Hill in college and I lived in a Georgetown dorm and I don't know if you've ever been on the campus there, but it's beautiful. And as an Arizona girl, I was like the East Coast. I felt like I was like on the campus of Harvard. So it was kind of always my dream. I'd love to go to a place like this one day. Well, lo and behold, Jen, I got a letter in the mail from Georgetown Law. Dear Miss Guthrie, our deadline for admission has passed. However, we're in receipt of your scores or whatever. They just sent like boilerplate data, you know, from that. They said, we invite you to apply and we'll extend the deadline till March 15th. Wow, that's pretty on the nose. And I felt like, <laughs> like yeah. this door opened. Yeah. And I had to walk through it. So I cobbled together an application, sent it out. 
Three weeks later, I'm in. That's bananas. So now it was like, what do I do? Oh, yeah. You've done it now. Do I pass up this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to Georgetown Law? This is the only school I applied to. That's crazy. But I don't know if I'm done with TV. I still have those little dreams nagging at me. And the big seminal moment was I had someone, he was actually a reporter at the station I had worked at, and he was he'd become a mentor and a friend. And he, I was hemming and hawing, like, should I go path A or path B? But if I went, but then I could never get back to path B. And if you leave TV, you'll never get back in. And, you know, but then I could never get into Georgia. And it was like spinning like lunatic. And he said, Savannah, think big. And I don't know why that bumper sticker slogan in that moment was so profound because I knew exactly what he was saying to me. Stop saying who can't do what and you never could get back in or think big for yourself. Dream it. I went home and I thought, well, what would it be if I were to dream big? Not to tell anyone, not to get too big for my bridges. What if I told myself my secret dream and I said it out loud in my head for the first time? I said, I think I'd like to be a legal correspondent on a national network. Wow. And when I knew that answer, then I knew what to do. I thought, it'd be good to get my law degree then. Yeah. And so I did it. Did it. I didn't know if I was done with TV. I knew that I had to be at peace with it mm -hmm. and be happy. And if my career was going to be pure law and that was the plan, I had to know that that would be good too. And I was happy with that outcome. But I still had that secret little dream, which came back later. That was the career ruining number one, comes back later for career ruining number two. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. Did you know more than 75% of Americans experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% seek out a solution for that pain? Your feet don't have to hurt. So let me tell you about Superfeet. Superfeet has a wide range of insoles for every activity, every shoe, and every foot. From cushioned and flexible to firm and supportive, you can dial in your fit by taking their quick quiz online. Answer just a few short questions and Superfeet will recommend the best insole choice for you. Foot biomechanics may be complex, but solving foot pain should be simple. So when you add the signature orthotic shape of Superfeet insoles to your shoes, you give your feet comfort and support where they need it most, helping redistribute forces to reduce stress and strain on your entire body, not just your feet. When your feet feel good, so do you. Your foot health is an important part of your overall well-being. Visit superfeet.com and enter the promo code FTL at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. It's so interesting to have the advantage of the 30,000 foot view on your life and career and 
see very clearly how much that law degree has served you. Big time. What a tool in your toolkit. Of course, you use that knowledge and experience every day, really. You have now interviewed the most powerful people in the world. And having that law experience, have you just thought a million times, thank goodness I did that? I'm so glad. And it's funny because a lot of young journalists will ask me, well, should I go to law school? And I always say, well, that, you know, there's a lot of pros and cons. I can't answer that for you. But generally, I would say, if you want to be a journalist, then no, going to law school is not a good way to be a journalist. However, I have to say it has worked for me and I have used my law degree and I use it every single day and in different ways. Sometimes, yes, because I'm covering a legal case. And so, you know, or I'm covering the Supreme Court and I have to read a decision and I have 30 seconds to get on air and figure out basically what it says. So, yes, I use it there. I used it when they threw me into the White House. I had never covered national politics. It's like another world. I was so green. I knew nothing. And the only thing I had going for me, I didn't have one source. No one had heard of me. Oh my gosh. I was brand new. Nobody returned my calls. The only thing I had going for me was that I could understand policy and I could be a person of substance. So when I got my chance to ask a question, it would be a good question. And that's, you know, the legal background is government, law, politics, policy. That all was part of it. And then the other kind of, I think really one of the biggest things that is just intangible is that, you know, like I said, I was a kid from Arizona who went to the University of Arizona, went to an average high school, got average grades. I was average in every way. I was a slacker in high school. I ditched 35 times and got suspended for a week my last year. I just wasn't a big scholar, highly motivated for a million reasons. And I went to Georgetown and I felt not only I felt old, because I went when I was 27, a lot of those students at that time especially come right out of college. They came out of Harvard. They came out of Yale. They came out of this and that. And Georgetown was their safety school. And for me, it was the biggest reach of my life. And here I came from nowhere. And I was sitting in there and they'd have their tabbed textbooks. And I was so intimidated. I felt like I walked into a conversation that had been going on for 45 minutes without me in Latin. You know, I was like, huh? But getting through it and learning that not only I could survive, but that I could do well. Yeah. Even with all those young, smarter, more pedigreed whippersnappers, which such a confidence boost. And I needed it. I needed it for me to believe like, you know what? Maybe you can. Maybe you just can hang in the big time here. And that was really important. What was the on-ramp back into TV? Because those are two very disparate spaces, really. I mean, yes, there's a lot of crossover in terms of content, but not in presentation or even in career paths. And so was there a thing? Was there a moment? Yes, there was, actually. So I went to law school, ended up doing well in law school, shockingly, got a great job at a, one of these white-collar prestigious law firms in Washington, D.C., and I got a clerkship, a federal clerkship, which... This is the like path for any law person, any lawyer or law student listening knows like, oh, the clerkship, that's what you want to do. You want to make law review, you want to get a clerkship, and then you're on your way. So I got this clerkship with a federal judge in Washington, D.C. I was going to work for a year at the law firm, which I did, and I was getting ready to report for duty at the judge's chambers. And I just kept having this nagging feeling. My path was set. It was all laid out. I also was, you know, $200,000 in debt. I borrowed every dime I had to go to law school. I just thought, 
still have that nagging TV dream. Oh, man. And I had a job all through law school, but toward the last couple of years, I had gotten a part-time job at the local NBC affiliate on air. It's a freelance reporter. And it was great because I could keep my foot in, you know, I, so my tape was still a little current. So it was like, you could see that I just wasn't, I was like the nails scratching on like, yes, I'm going to be a lawyer, but <laughs> totally. I'll just do, so I would study. I'd be in the live truck covering some horrible thing in a terrible neighborhood, waiting for the 11 o'clock news and studying and highlighting my law books for the eight o'clock class the next day. But anyway, because I had kept my hand in TV, that's how I started thinking, what if I just freelance for a bit? What if I quit this law firm job and I don't do a clerkship? And what I thought to myself was, I think it's time for me to take it out for a test drive. Yeah. And see if I really can. Yeah. But that meant I had to quit the clerkship, which... It's a huge deal. Never happens. No one says no to a federal judge. And they certainly don't say no after they hired you a year and a half ago. I feel that in my stomach. A month before you're to report for duty. I mean, it's terrible. Not only are you blowing up your legal career, it's just not cool. Yeah. So I called the judge to break up and he said, what? Come see me in my chambers. You know, like, okay, what's this one you got going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, let me straighten this young lady out. Yeah, like he was very nice, but come see me. So we sat in his chambers and I explained to him, I have these dreams of working in television and going back and I, that's why I can't come work for you. And I'm so, so sorry. And he said, well, I hear you. I understand you have your dreams. That's great. But this is a year-long clerkship. Why don't you just come work for me for a year? You'll only be enhanced your opportunities, the contacts you'll make, and then go pursue your dreams. And I said, Judge, I know what you're saying makes perfect sense. Hmm. And it's true. But I also know myself. And if I don't do it right now, I will never have the guts again. Wow. Big time. And he said, okay. And he walked me to the door and was lovely and gracious and encouraging. And I think a little flummox that now he's like, who am I supposed to get now six weeks before she's supposed to start? But he was wonderful. And then I went out and I had nothing. I didn't have a job. I had nothing, but I did it anyway. So I ended up, long story short, finding a job with Court TV, which a few months later happened to be looking for all of their on-air correspondents had to be lawyers. But they wanted someone who's a lawyer, but also knew how to be a reporter. So in other words, it was perfect for me. It was tailor-made. Yes. Yes. Which I couldn't have known. You had some biggies on court TV. I mean, that was a, you had a minute over there. It was the heyday. I mean, that's what was so great about it too, because it was a time when televised trials were the thing. It wasn't the OJ era. It was early 2003. So there was Martha Stewart, Scott Peterson, Michael Jackson. There were a million of them. And so what was amazing is that not only did I go and cover these cases for Court TV, and it was really fun because that was such a niche broadcast that you could get real nerdy on the law stuff. So I would, you know, I'd like get all the motions. I'm reading in other anchors were lawyers and we'd be like doing this, all this deep dive. And then the shows that we're covering, like Today's Show, Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, Dan Abrams on MSNBC, CNN, Court TV let us go on as legal analysts. And so suddenly I'm on all of the national networks. Oh, yeah. I mean, the day that Katie Couric said and joining us now is Court TV's Savannah Guthrie. I think I blacked out. <laughs> totally. Like I grew up idolizing her. Of course. And I'm like, pull it together, Savannah, pull it together. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got noticed eventually by NBC. Oh, my gosh. I'm so tickled because... The first time I was ever on the Today Show was with you and Carl. And I literally can't remember it. Yeah. I just went fog. I just went into a black fog. What did I say? Who could know? Literally, who could know? 
It's like that football player who caught the winning touchdown at the Super Bowl. And he's like, I caught it, but I blacked out. Like, he's like, zero memory. Completely. Like, I had to go back and look at it. I asked my friends, what did I say? Did I say anything at all? And they're like, not really, but you looked cute. I'm like, that is <laughs> yeah. literally all I can manage today. That's what, listen, that's 90% of it. It's such an iconic place. It's so special. So they grabbed you as essentially someone who had just been interviewed on a segment and went, we would like to talk to you more. Is that how that started? Eventually, yeah. I mean, it was years, really, you know, but eventually they reached out and said, come talk to us about a correspondent job, but not a legal correspondent, just a correspondent job. So yeah. I interviewed and applied and there's a whole long story, but I've already given you so many long stories, but I ended up at NBC in Washington as a general assignment correspondent in 2007. And about three months after I got there, they said, we're going to send you to the White House. Actually, it's Tim Russert. And they put me there on the weekends. I was like the 19th string reporter. And then in 2008, it was Obama Clinton and then Obama McCain. And I went out on and started covering the campaign. So yeah, so that's how I kind of got my start. So they threw me into politics right away, but I had no experience covering politics. And there is just nothing like national politics. Holy moly. In an election year, I mean, that was just like just a, a lion's den. Trial by fire. Yes. I mean, truly. like Plus all the press corps who I adore and love and are amazing. When you first come in, you got to prove yourself. So not only are you trying to be good on air and be good for your bosses, you're trying to show your colleagues that, you know, you can hang, that you're smart and sophisticated and no politics, which I wasn't any of those things. But you fake it till you make it. It's so interesting how all of those experiences that are varied and you were in so many different environments and your colleagues kept changing and that has just developed you into who you are now to be at such a high level. And I just can't help but think that all of those experiences, the just thousands really of interviews you conducted and stories that you covered have built something inside of you that we can all see it. It's a palpable sense with you, which is that you are a journalist that is trustworthy. You are both super professional and also very compassionate, which is a tricky needle to thread. And so I wonder when I think about all the stories that you've covered, which some of them are just absolutely devastating. I mean, you covered Yavaldi and you covered the exit of Matt Lauer, your colleague. You have seen some of the lowest moments in our culture. I would love to hear you talk. I don't even know how to frame this question, but how you have managed to do that with such professionalism and compassion and in such a way that you're not so consumed. It doesn't just drag you to the bottom of the ocean. Mm. Well, you're very kind. I feel like all this time has been a journey. And if I were to go back and look at my first few days on the show or my first few reports on NBC, I would certainly cringe. And it's taken a long time to be comfortable in my own skin in a way and to find, especially on the show, especially on the Today Show, because when you're a Washington correspondent, it's so hardcore. And then you come to the Today Show and you do real news interviews. You know, you're interviewing the president or the secretary of state or a grieving victim. It's real news. It's hard news. But then at 8.30, you might be roller skating with Martha Stewart on an elephant, you know? So it's like, how do you manage those things? But actually, in the end, the reason I love the show so much and have always felt like it was good for me is because I think that's who I am. 
people are not monolithic. They're not one faceted. That's right. Unifaceted. You know, so it's like, yeah, I'm serious and I love news and I'll study hard for an interview and I expect I'm asking questions on behalf of our viewers. And if you try to wriggle out of it, like I'm going to call you on it. At the same time, I love people. I love to goof around. I'm clumsy, silly. I love music. I love to dance. So this show lets me get to be all of those things. And our viewers let us do that. I always say, like, if you were inventing a television show in today's world, no one would let you do what we dare to do on these morning shows. Be taken seriously as a journalist at seven o'clock and be cooking nachos and swigging a beer at 8.45. You're right. No one would be like, that's a great idea. They'd say, that's crazy. That person, you can't be that same person. But of course you can. That's right. Because all of us are multifaceted. So I think the news breaks your heart every single day. And I think that's one thing we try to do on the show is we don't sugarcoat it, but we're very mindful and caring that people are waking up and you don't have to sensationalize. We're kind of processing the news with you. That's how I think of it. And I never want to lose my heart. I never want to have thick skin, even though it hurts to not have thick skin. But I don't want to have thick skin. I want to have humanity. I want it to touch me. But I'm not going to cry and carry on on air because I don't want to be a distraction. I'm supposed to be a professional. So it's just trying to thread that needle. And then this is where you get into the book. It's just the deep resource of faith has saved me time and time again in my private life and, yes, in my professional life. Let's talk about it. Also, I love your title so much. Mostly what God does is so good. Oh. I just love it. And also what I love is this picture that came on the sleeve. Whoever took that deserves an award. I love that picture of you. Can I tell you something so funny? And you'll love this as a numerous times author. I was like, I am not going to be on the cover of this book. Sure. I don't want to be on the cover because it's about God. And what am I going to do? Be like, hey, you know, like, no. Yeah. So... I had it in my contract. Oh, oh, you were serious. I am not going to be on the cover. Like I get to choose the cover and guess what? I'm not on it. So they were like, okay, you know, whatever. I mean, marketers, they want you to be on the cover because then people <laughs> totally. will recognize, oh, that oh, that person from, you know, they, they don't know. I'm not that famous. People might not even know my name. They just want you on the cover. So anyway, we picked the cover, the yellow. I love yellow. It's my favorite color. And then they come back and they said, there's a retailer that wants to carry it, a big one, and they'll carry it chain-wide, but you have to be on the cover. And I'm like, I don't want to be on the cover. Yeah. And then they came up with this beautiful, which I think was very tasteful, lovely compromise. You solved it. They put a slip cover that also is now a bookmark. Value. <laughs> Clever. Does double duty. And they promised me when we do all our marketing, we'll show just the book, but that was our compromise. And I really think in the end, it wasn't too embarrassing and cringy. It's so sweet. It is so perfect. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. You guys, I use these every single day. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it is so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus, it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Loom. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify Eye Drops. And when you try it, 
you'll see that it is what your eyes have been looking for. So check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Writing a book is a whole thing. Uh, it, it is a whole thing. It isn't easy and it isn't fast. And it requires so many hours of you putting your little fingers on a laptop and actually writing the words. And so I would love to hear you talk about why you wanted to write this. I'm guessing you just needed to, that this was something that was just in your soul and mind and heart, and it had to get on a page. I think it was, but I was the last person to know it. I love that. The book is called Mostly What God Does, and the rest of the sentence is, Mostly What God Does is Love You. And I agree, it's a wonderful sentence because I didn't write it. Eugene Peterson did, who's this amazing scholar and pastor who translated the Bible literally from English into plain English. And it's amazing. And this is his translation of a famous verse from Ephesians. Mostly what God does is love you. When I first heard those words, it hit me like a thunderbolt because, of course, I've spent even I grew up in faith and faith has always been a part of me and I've never, it's never been a secret. All my friends and family know it's hugely important to me. I've spent a lot of my years wondering what God thought of me and all of my choices and all of my mistakes and the flawed way that I've lived when compared to how I grew up and how I was, you know, like the things you shouldn't have done, whether it's drinking when you shouldn't have or any number of things, you know, that a young person does or mistakes you made or boyfriends you probably shouldn't have had, et cetera, et cetera. And I loved how it just said, you know, it's like, what does God think of me? Mostly what God does is love you. Mm -hmm. What does he think of the choices I've made? Mostly what God does is love you. Am I deserving of forgiveness? Mostly what God does is love you. Am I shallow? 
Am I too ambitious? Mostly what God does is love you. When you pose those questions to yourself and you realize that here's the bottom line, God is loving you this whole time. And once you understand that as the bedrock principle from which everything else comes, then even when doesn't mean this isn't like a throwaway slogan that doesn't mean anything or has no credibility. This isn't like that doesn't say God thinks everything you do is fantastic. That's not what it says. It says the starting point is love. And when you understand life events or something you're reading or something you're grappling with in those terms, that it starts with this bedrock fact, to me, it's transformative. And that is what I wanted to write about. But I'm the last person who wanted to write a book about anything and certainly not faith. And I think it's this beautiful thing that I just love about God, the way that he can surprise you sometimes. And if you had said a year or two ago or whenever, my whole, Savannah, you're going to be the anchor of the Today Show. I know. Can you believe it? It's you. You chubby kid with terrible hair from Tucson, Arizona. It's you. But then you're going to have to go out and write a big book about faith. I would have been like, no deal. I'm good. Absolutely not. I'll mm-hmm. just stay here. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to put myself out there. It's too scary. It's too personal. How could I? What do, who am I? What experts? No. And the thing is, is that when it all came to pass, in a way, God made it seem like it was my idea. And suddenly it was something I wanted to do. I can't believe it. Something I know that if you had told me this is your future, I would have been like, oh, no, 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 please, no, please, no, 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 no. That it came to, I was given the opportunity. Someone said, an editor, would you ever want to write about your faith? And instead of immediately saying no, like I always would, like, I have a job, I got two kids, who plus no. Sure. You know, <laughs> sounds like work. No. I thought, now that's one thing I could get excited about. Yeah. Like that could be really thrilling and interesting and challenging. And I think I have something to say. And I yeah. think I want to say that God loves you. And that might seem like obvious to some and highly non-obvious to others. That's right. But it needs to be said. And the book is kind of an exploration of those themes. It truly is. You know, when you read something from someone and you have a sense that they're telling the truth, like this is the truth to you. And this is this is who you actually are. And this is how you actually feel. And these are real principles in your life, as opposed to that sense of reading where you just go, this is phony baloney. For better or worse, it's real. It is. This is what I believe. This is what I love about God. It's a love letter to God. It is. About his love letter to us. Yeah. It's like this God and humans mutual admiration society and how touching and transformative that is. Yeah. But I'm not writing this from some mountaintop. Sure. Where I figured it all out. I mean, I'm writing it from the depths. That's right. I'm writing it as the person who actually needs to read this book over and over again. Every day I have to pull myself out of the doldrums sometimes and remind myself, like, keep going, you know, no one's perfect. And it deals with all those things and why the feeling of grace and love and forgiveness and kindness is so transformative within and then how that is then thrust outward into the world. So it's an inward looking book, but then it's also, I hope, this beautiful calling that we can all remind ourselves, like, if mostly what God does is love us, then we should go out and do that too. Yeah, that's right. And if we're really filled up with that love and we really believe it, it's kind of part of us, then that will become a very natural act. It will be exuded from us. And these are the things I believe. Do I live them perfectly every day? No, I do not. And I write about that. But I believe it. And I've seen its hope time and time again. 
And I'm so grateful for it. That's the thing. I was like, I just have something good to say about God. And I just would like to say it. That's all. I appreciate that because number one, much is written about God on behalf of God in God's voice from his perspective that is just garbage at best and misleading and destructive at worst. You know, I'm not a theologian, not a scholar. I I mean, I went to vacation Bible school, you know, in church camp. But I've also been a student and, you know, a student of scripture. The book is scripture-based. You know, obviously it comes from this Christian point of view that is the one I grew up with. I hope its themes are appealing and compelling. I've had people of different faiths and also no faith at all tell me things that have resonated with them. And that makes me so happy because I think the themes are universal. But at the same time, it is coming from a particular point of view. I mean, the theologian reviewed the manuscript. I'm not making up a bunch of happy talk. You know, oh, God loves you, so do whatever you want. No, on the contrary. But I hope it weaves all those strands together. Yes. And that why we can believe God's love and God's love has credibility because he knows us. He really knows us. Even the parts of ourselves that we don't want to be known. He knows them. And guess what? Mostly what he does is love you. How are you feeling about this book coming out? Because this is different. It's not as if you're new to the public eye. You are literally in the spotlight for your career. People look at your face every day. So it's not that you're brand new to attention, but this is different. You are generally reporting and you are interviewing and the spotlight is on the person sitting across from you or the story that you are explaining. This is your life. It's your bones and your guts and your family and your doubts. Because like you just mentioned a minute ago, it's not shiny. You haven't written a shiny version of like a an untested faith perspective. That's not what this is. I mean, you've included some hard things in here and failures and journal entries that are horrifying, cringeworthy. Completely. So how does this feel? Terrified, nervous, excited, hopeful. But this is so far outside my comfort zone. I mean, it's not even a memoir about my career or a bunch of war stories. Like you said, it's my interior life. It's my heart. There's no salacious tell-all or spilling dirt. But sometimes if you're going to write about faith, you don't write about it in a vacuum. I'm not standing at some chalkboard with like five principles of this or that. You only learn these things by walking through the fire. That's how you learn. And so I have to tell you a little bit about the fire. I don't want to, but I know that to have any credibility with a reader, they got to know like, okay, she does know what it's like to have your heart break, to just be disappointed with others or disappointed with yourself. And so I write all those things. I'm absolutely, of course, I'm scared. I'm nervous. I don't know what people will think. I'm afraid. Mm. But I'm also hopeful. And I know that God will protect me. And that doesn't mean it will do well or that people will like it. But I feel confident that it's a message of goodness, kindness, and love that I think our world could stand to hear. I don't know why I had to do this, Jen Hatmaker. You know, I'm just writing a book. Nobody told me what to write. This is my idea. Yeah. And I suddenly start thinking, how can I write mostly what God does is love you when there's so much suffering? Mm -hmm. How can I write this when I've covered 10 school shootings this year? And I kept thinking about this one woman uh, who I'd never met but seen an interview with named Nelma Marquez-Green, and she lost her six-year-old daughter, Anna Grace, in Newtown. And so I reached out to her because she's a woman of faith. 
And I wanted to know, you know, how? How do you deal with these questions that are unanswerable? And, you know, I feel glad that I didn't shy away from those questions. Spoiler alert, I don't have the answers and neither does anyone. But the reason I brought up Nelba is because when I told her, I said, I'm writing this book. I'd love to come talk to you. She was amazing and sat with me. I showed her some of what I had written so she knew where I was coming from and that I was sincere. And she said to me, and I saved her text because I needed to remind myself. She said, Savannah, you're doing a beautiful thing. And God knows this world needs more beautiful things. And I saved it because I thought if Nelba Marquez Green, who lost her baby girl in the most unimaginable act of violence, if she can say, Savannah, you should tell people how much God loves them. Well, then I can. And she gave me a lot of courage. Perfect. Golly. That's it. That's the deal. And that's the point. And by the time this episode airs, you're going to be on book tour. Where are you going first? Dallas. I'm coming to your neck of the woods, mama. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah, you are. You're going to have so much fun. You're going to have a blast, like getting to like be with your readers. Yeah, like what do people think? Oh, yeah. The stories are going to be, they'll stay with you forever. And I will go ahead and just reject your earlier statement that you're one and done in terms of <laughs> book writing. I just, <laughs> I put that right in the toilet and flushed it. And I look forward to your to your next book is all I'm trying to say. If I do, I'll come back here and I'll eat crow. <laughs> okay. Everybody's heard it. All right. That's it. So where should we send people to get their copy at this? Where shall we send them? Send them. If We have all of the retailers online at www.mostlywhatgoddoes.com. But it'll be at every retailer and go to an indie bookseller because we love our indie booksellers or check it out of the library. My little boy was so cute when I showed him the book. He's seven. He said, mommy, will this be in the library? Like, could I check it out? I said, yeah, honey, you could. So cute. The cutest. So that's, it'll be every, and I did an audio book too, which was really fun. Yes. All it requires is drinking 700 gallons of tea. This is why I sound like this. And people keep <laughs> saying, are you sick? I'm like, no, I'm just old. This is how I sound now. Yeah. <laughs> like a man. Yep. Oh, I love it so much. Well, I am so, I'm just delighted for you and about you. And I deeply crave faith writing from trustworthy people. And I am so proud of you for being that person, for writing something that is true and good and believable and honest and hopeful. That's really the only kind of faith writing I'm interested in. That's it. I've lived too much. And so I think you've put something important and beautiful and true out. And I cannot wait for people to read it. They're going to love it. The response is going to be beautiful. I can't wait for you to see that. I'm glad they bullied you into having a semi picture on the cover. Turn it around though. Look, it's a bookmark. Isn't it cute? Mostly what God does is love you. There it is. I mean, you've nailed it. You know what the greatest thing is? And I know you're probably trying to cut me off, but I just want to say that one of the most beautiful and surprising things so far is that this has started conversations with people in my life, who I work with or walk to school with or on the bus, who I had no idea, cared about faith, well-known names, people you would never guess. But God means something to a lot of people. And that is so exciting and heartening. Yeah. And 
it's beautiful. And I hope in your life, you know, whoever it is, like this maybe sparks a deeper conversation with a friend. I hope it's accessible and an easy way in because when we really bond over those things, yeah. it's so meaningful. And it's like our soul is just so thirsting for that, for friendship and love. And you have been such a good friend to me. I was just a super fan of yours. And like cold call reached out to you <laughs> and you were nice enough to become my friend. So thank you for having me on and supporting me. Oh, I just love you to pieces. I'm excited for you. So everybody, I'll round up all these links for you. Don't worry. You don't have to go track it down. I got you. Okay, that's it. Off you go back into your life. You've got a whole life. Gotta go. On to the next thing. I love you. You guys, I love her. You know that I always have our interviews recorded. Like we have a video of it, not just audio. So if you ever want to watch one of the interviews, you can go over to my YouTube channel because it's fun, particularly in this one, to just see Savannah and to watch our conversation. And she is such a delightful person, just delightful. As promised, if you go to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, I'll have not only this episode and all the show notes, but I will link everything. I will round up the links to Savannah's work and obviously this book and where you can get it. And, and I think if you're looking for faith writing that you can trust, look no further. I've never put something in front of you in a faith space that I did not believe in. Never. So this one is just a lovely offering. Okay. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I sure did. Golly. Sure love you. Love bringing you the best interviews and the best people we can find. And today was no exception. All right, you guys. Have a great day. See you next time. The For the Love Podcast with Jen Hatmaker is a presentation of Odyssey and produced by Four Eyes Media with Laura Neitzling, producer, Warren Winfield, associate producer, Abby Stevens, production director, and Gregory DiMario, production assistant. Audio engineers are Andrew Wester and John Furr. Odyssey's executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Lee Reese-Dennis. Special thanks to the team at Odyssey, Maura Curran, Melissa Wester, Matt Casey, Kate Hutchinson, Eric Donnelly, Aaron Constantino, Kurt Courtney, and Hilary Schuff. Listen and follow For the Love, an Odyssey podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a production of Four Eyes Media.